We've been talking about Philadelphians living in Laodicea. And we have an obligation to be Philadelphians. The Lord told Laodiceans to repent. He did not tell them to buckle in for a nice sleep nap until the end of the church age. He told them to repent. So we got to repent. We've got to stop being Laodiceans. And we've got to start being those who love God and love the brethren. And, and so we're going to see one way we can do that. We're going to look at a contrast of the spies, the ten spies, and the two spies. We'll see that tonight here in Numbers chapter 13 as well as John chapter 13. Let's read verse 31 of Numbers 13. But the men that went up with him said, with Caleb, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. The reason why, it doesn't, it doesn't say this in the passage. What was the emotion that these ten spies felt? If there was a, an emotion that they felt that would make the most sense, it would be obvious, what emotion do you think that the ten spies felt? Fear seems to be what it is. Uh, and, and specifically, fear of what? Fear of the giants. The fear of man. They were afraid of these people. Notice the, the three categories. They said the land is really, really rough. It's eating people up. But notice, as far as perspectives are concerned, as far as how they viewed others, notice in verse number 32, you see the first category, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature, that continues, verse 33, there, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. So the first category is what they thought about others. How they viewed the men in the land of Canaan. The second category is in verse 33, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. The second category is what they thought of themselves. The third category is, and so we were in their sight. It's what others thought about them. So you've got three categories. What you think about yourself, what you think about others, and what others think about you, which you really can't know, but you think you know. And, and you can obsess over what you are sure other people think of you. Either way, it might as well be true, even, if it, even though it's not true. It dic if it dictates your life and controls your life, then what's the difference? If, if you're being controlled by any of these things, you are locked in to what God calls a snare. The fear of man bringeth a snare. They haven't even gotten into the land to live there, to break ground, 
to win any victories, and they're already afraid. One of the major things that keeps a Laodicean from becoming a Philadelphian is the fear of man. Being afraid of people. You're, you, and it comes down to these three categories. What you think of yourself, what you think of other people, and what you're really convinced that they are thinking of you. If you were to stop just for a moment and think about the, the struggles that you've had in your life with people, and, and, and you, you could probably break it down to one of these areas. It could be that the struggles you're having right now are in one of these three areas. What you think about yourself, what you think about someone else, or what you're convinced someone else is thinking about you. And maybe that's all spaghetti in your mind, like it's all connected. Maybe it's one specific thing. The truth of the matter is, any one of those could work. They had all three of them. Any one of those could work to keep you out of the promised land of victory. What you think about yourself, what you think about other people, or what you think other people are thinking about you. Now, now, now here's the thing. You may not think this way, and this may not be comfortable to you, but please don't act like you're above it. Please don't act, I don't, I don't do psychology stuff. If you're a human being, you do this stuff. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But you have somewhere along the line altered your behavior because of what you think about yourself, what other people, what you think about other people, or what you think they think about you. And maybe you say, well, I don't give a rip about anybody. I don't care. I just get up, crack my knuckles, and go after it. Well, why do you have to tell everybody that you do that? Because you're defensive. Because you'd rather get somebody else before you get got. You'd rather go on the offensive and let everybody know how you don't give a rip about what anybody thinks because you do give a rip about what people think. And it bothers you. So what do we do as believers? Well, I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't lean on ourselves. The Laodiceans had a problem with proper perspective of themselves. Hold your Bibles here in Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, Numbers. You can hold in Deuteronomy if you want to as well, but we're in Numbers. Uh, go over to, to Revelation. And look at chapter 3 of Revelation. The Lord said that they were lukewarm. They were room temperature. They avoided extremes. They were very smooth and comfortable. And here's, here's why. He said, I'm sick of you because, verse 17, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. They had a problem with proper perspective of themselves. They didn't think that they were horrible people. They thought that they were doing great. But I would submit to you either way, if your perspective is not good, whether you think you're terrible and God says, I love you and I care for you and you're my son, or whether you think you're on top of the heap and you've, you know it all and God says you're miserable, either way, it's a problem with understanding who you really are. The problem that you face today, the negative thoughts, most likely had something to do with one of these areas. Do you have an identity crisis every time... 
you're challenged or you're questioned or you're rejected in some way. Every time you hear about the success of another believer, how well they're doing, do you have fear of missing out when you look at what somebody else is doing? Uh, do, do you get discouraged when you don't see this, the success that you would like to have? Why is that? It could be one of these areas. It could be that you are seeking your own sense of well-being from how other people interact with you. You're, you're looking to feel good about yourself based on what other people think about you. Or it could be from the idea that you are always right, you always want to be right, and so you immediately throw up a defense every time that's ever attacked. You just, I want to be right. Uh, By the way, uh, Pharisees hide this very well, because they do things that are right, but you know that they're Pharisees, because if they're ever corrected, or if anyone ever bumps against their, their omnipotence as a believer, they freak out. They're thin skinned. They can't handle it. I'm trying to serve God, brother. Amen. Good, good, good for you. Keep it up, right? You think you're easily offended. It could be from having your own understanding of success, your own evaluation of what does it mean to be successful as a person. Like, I know I should be this kind of a person, and so therefore that's what I'm really going to be, and unless I'm that, I'm nothing. Typically, standards that other people told you that you should have, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe your teachers, somebody told you that you're supposed to be here and you're not there. And so you live your life always striving to be there or hating yourself because you're not there. Either way. Could it be that you are dependent on the responses of other people or that you see yourself in one of these areas, you're concerned about how you see yourself like this. How do I look? My presentation. Uh, or, or how do I do my performance? Or how important am I? My position. Your presentation or your appearance or your performance or your position. And if either of those are challenged, any of those are challenged, you have a a sense of, I've lost my identity. I don't know who I am anymore. That perspective is very immature, and it will ruin you for ministry. It'll ruin you. It'll turn you away from the servant to being served. Look there in Numbers chapter 14. What was that, Brother Caleb? No, 1440? 1424. Thank you. Numbers 14. It talks about all these men, in verse 22, which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land. Remember that land they said that was really rough and eats people up? They're not going to see that land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it, but my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. You see, 
One of the things about the Philadelphians is that they are ready to be sent. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Whereas the Laodiceans are like the bride in Song of Solomon. I pulled my feet into the bed. I'm ready. I've got my nightgown on. I can't get down and walk outside. The Lord's knocking on the door. They're not ready to be used, to be sent. They're not ready to serve. What was one of the major differences? We said, well, Caleb, Caleb was a man full of faith. He was ready to attack and go up. That wasn't testosterone. That that wasn't just raw masculinity. It, It wasn't just that he drank monsters every day. It was because he was a man full of faith. How did he get to that point? He got to the point of faith by saying, God, you're the Lord and master. I am the servant. I do what you tell me to do. Not just looking at it like, that's a great idea, God. You and I are aligned on this one. I like the concept of the promised land. You see, sometimes that's what we think. If God could ever get on the same page with me and get the cool idea down that I have down, we could do some stuff. How about this? Do what God told you to do. I don't need to be the master of ceremonies. I don't need to be the lead dog. God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. Humility, humility is what moves a Laodicean into Philadelphia. It's humility. We look at Caleb and we say, wow, what an example of faith. And he was. What an example of enduring faithfulness. And he was. But the Lord gave him a title. He said, he's my servant. You know who else had that, serv- that, that title? My servant? Messiah did. Jesus Christ. Behold, my servant. If you're going to live a life of being an unusual believer, you know what would make you really unusual today? Being humble. Being a person who is able to be directed a person who is able to serve and willing to serve. You say, well, yeah, I've, I've been there before, and you, yeah, people will use you. Yeah, they will. I thought that's what servants did. Well, I mean, it's, I'm not a kid anymore. I've been around. I've seen it. You know, I volunteered once and whoop, practically never heard from again. Listen, you don't have to worry about disappearing into obscurity. You're not serving man, you're serving God. You think he lost you somewhere in your humility? You think God doesn't know where you are now because somebody used you and put you on the... Listen, if you're a servant, you're number one, a servant of God. Behold my servant, Jehovah said about Jesus Christ. Let's take our Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Watch what Jesus does. At a very critical time in his life. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. That was not going to be an easy parting. Very painful way to leave this world. When he knew that, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. 
Oh, and watch what happens right here. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Notice, Jesus is faithful in the midst of betrayal. Betrayal is concurrent with his service. It is happening simultaneously. He is serving his God, his Father, serving the brethren while he is being betrayed. Verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Christ knew who he was He knew why he was here, and he knew where he was going. Men had rejected him. Judas was betraying him at the moment. But these three things formed the foundation for his faith and for his ability to love and to serve others. He knew who he was. You see, verse number one, the Father. He knew who he was. He knew what time it was. He knew when to act. And then notice, he knew what he had. All things were given to him. You know, that's what Jesus said. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. But isn't it interesting that when we go we feel that we don't have enough power to get the job done. Jesus said, I've given unto you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You have the word of God. But when we try to act in our lives as a Christian, we feel we're missing something. We don't have enough. You know, the reason why Jesus was able to serve on the eve of his crucifixion was because he knew who he was. He knew what he had, what God had given him, and then he knew where he was going. You see, if you know who you are and you know what God has given you and you know where you're going when it all wraps up, you are now prepared to rule? No. You are now prepared to serve. Because true leadership, true power is nothing more than an opportunity to serve. It's a privilege to serve. But once, if we think, God's raising me up, he's raising me up so I can start cracking the whip, I can tell other people what to do, you're not going to last long. How many of you have read about Saul this morning and yesterday? Here's Saul, who is thrust into the position of higher authority than anyone that had ever been, as, a, as far as a human was concerned, and what did he do? He crumbled under the weight of responsibility. Why? He wasn't a servant. He wanted things to be done a certain way in his life, but he was not ready to serve other people. Interestingly enough, you notice at the end of the chapter today where Saul, if he heard about any valiant man, he called him unto himself. He brought him in. He had to, had to you know, put those ads out on Facebook and, and people would respond to him. But David didn't have to do that. You know what happened with David's mighty men? You know where they came from? They voluntarily came to David. They found him in the cave. You know where David was? He was in the cave serving and worshiping his God. And God equipped him. God brought people to him. 
You see, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Because we're trying to figure out, how do I get myself to stop feeling so small? How do I stop, how do I stop other people from belittling me? And being condescending to me. How can I get people to stop seeing me as just a whatever, fill in the blank? You can't. You see, what you're really seeking is dominance. You're seeking the ability to have a position. I've had people tell me, well, I I could get people to follow me if I had a position, if I had a title. No, you couldn't. I don't know that. Real leadership is not a title. My son picked up a, a, a name tag the other day. In the, um, in the parking lot somewhere, Verizon store. It said, uh, Supervisor Micah. And so, you know, being, you know, Johnny, he put it on. He takes a picture of himself. And I, like, I'm so proud of you, Johnny. You finally actually did something with your life. You're a supervisor at Verizon store. This is great. Forgive me. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. It's a wonderful kid. But, but, but don't you understand Somebody gives you a title only buys you time. You're, you're, if, if he were to become that, you put that on me. I couldn't walk in there. I have no idea what to tell people to do. I'm like, you know what, guys? We've got a lot of phones in here. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. That's all I could say. Why? Just being given, a, if, if everybody would start treating you right, if people would just finally respect you for who you are and give you a chance, that's all I'm asking for is a chance. Right? Nope. You're going at it the wrong way. Caleb started from a position of, I am the servant of Jehovah. What he tells me to do, I will do. I will not listen to what other people think about what he thinks. I will not listen to what other people think about what I'm doing. I will listen to my God, and I will follow the chain of command that God's put in my life. Joshua, uh, Moses said, go. I'm going to do it. Here I go. Guess what? Here's one of the beautiful things. If Caleb had gone in and tried to do this work and failed, guess who would have been at fault? God. It would have been God's fault if Caleb failed. Now, everybody else, they didn't get to good in there and see anything happen because they feared man and, and they didn't fear God. Caleb feared God all the way through. So here's the beautiful thing about following God. If you truly put your faith and trust in God, you can say, God, I'm trusting in you. If this thing falls apart, I would never say, you probably also would never trust God completely. You, you wouldn't be the kind of person that actually steps out on faith. Why? Because you like things to be comfortable. You like to know exactly how it all is going to work out because that way you get to be God. You get to have this beautiful feeling of being spiritual and making sure that everything happens exactly like you want it to do. When does God ever get to be a part of that? You see, a servant is not there to dictate what happens. A servant is there to carry out the dictates of what the master wants. And it's a beautiful thing. I remember one time when I was a teenager, I remember having this thought, and it was a millisecond of a thought, and it certainly did not inform much of my life. But the thought was, I don't have to do anything but do what my parents tell me to do. Like, all I have to do is obey. <laughs> How hard is that? Now, as I said, it didn't inform much of my life. But I remember having that thought that this is easier than I'm making it out to be. I just have to do what, what my parents want me to do. 
You see, living the Christian life is a lot easier than we wanted to make it out to be. Just say, Lord, you're in charge. So the hard part is getting to that point, isn't it? Where we actually say, God, you're in charge. Christ knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He knew where he was going. And he never sought his sense of identity from mankind. Who am I? Man, you want to go down the rabbit hole? Go, go, go to, uh, look up Carl Truman and look up the identity. I can't remember the name of the book. Interesting book. Talks about this, this, the idea of self. Um, there's, there's a, and I'm sorry I brought this up because it's, I can't remember the name of the documentary. I'm going through it. Very interesting. But, but, but it used to be that people were their actions. You didn't talk about your feelings. You did things. Uh, you didn't sit around and cry. You didn't sit around and laugh unnecessarily. You weren't trying to be an emotion. You were more of an action. And emotions came along for the ride. But when, when, when marketers began to realize in the early 1900s that you could market not just a car because of how, much, how superior it was. it was. It wasn't like buy a Ford because it's made with so much better metal. The parts are so much more durable. It will last you. The people used to see that as a tool, use it as a tool, right? It began to change because marketers said, we can get people to buy things based on how those things will make a person feel. Right? You know that from Apple. Like, you know you're a better person if you have an Apple phone. They, they sell you this idea that you're in a special elite class of humans, right? It's how, you make, it's how they make you feel. It doesn't talk about the inside and how it works and why it's more powerful. They don't talk about that. They talk about how it makes you feel as a human. See, if you live your life based on that, then it's a real bother when anybody doesn't treat you like the hero that you think you are. If you start from a place of not, I'm a rug, I'm, I'm a doormat, I'm just a rug, you can beat me up if you want, you can walk on me, you can shake me around, it doesn't matter, I'm nobody, that's just pride in reverse. Uh, you're not a servant of man, but if you're a servant of God, then you recognize, I only have to do what God tells me to do. God tells us to do a lot of things. But Christ never sought the identity of his identity from man. And if we were to truly know and act on who we are in Christ and why we are here, why we are here, why does God say that you're here, Philadelphian? And where we are going, you could rest and relax while you live this life serving other people. If you know who you are in Christ, and you know where you're going, and you know why you're here, those are the big ones, man. Those are the big ones. Well, what about my health? Well, the Lord said that we're going to die. Right? It's appointed that a man wants to die. So I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to wrap up. You can frustrate yourself trying to stay alive eternally if you want to. When the Lord said, it's appointed unto men once to die. Or you can say, I'm not really worried about that. The Lord's going to take me out in the rapture. Which, man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? How are you going to make that happen? It's up to the Lord. He comes when he comes. He said he's coming. My job is to be ready for him whenever he comes. But if he doesn't come, I'm going to die. So what do I do? I can't stress out about the fact that I'm getting older or I'm getting out of shape. I mean, there's some things that you can't do anything about. So what do you do? You've got to, re- let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 4, notice that the, uh, the apostle here has a sense of his identity in Christ. He has a sense of the ability that Christ gave him, the purpose that God's given him, and, and what's coming after he leaves this world. Verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What's a steward? He is a servant. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, And then shall every man be judged and thrown into a place of darkness. It's not what he said. And then shall every man have praise of God. You know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to praise you. He wants to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He wants to say, good job. You did a good job. And he is going to say it. Why? Because you are, your identity is in Christ. He's going to say, I am thankful for you. I love you. You are accepted. He's already said that. You're accepted in the beloved. And he's going to say it at that day. But if you live with this constant fear, what you'll really find is this. You're not basing it on the judgment of uh, uh, the actual judgment of God. You're basing it on what you think about God or what you think God thinks about you or what you think other people think about you. And you live a life where you're constantly frozen in Laodicea You've been over to the promised land and you've seen what it would be like to stop smoking. You've seen what it would be like to stop yelling at your kids every day. You've seen what it would be like to be humming a, a, a song of praise in your heart and, and to be joyful, to, to enjoy your Christian life. You've seen that, but you don't think that's for you. You think that's for other people who just had it better. Their parents weren't as bad as your parents. Or they didn't have the life that you have. They, they don't have the problems that you have. It's not for you. But you're stuck, not because of anybody else, but yourself. Because he's already promised that he wants to give you praise, that he's the one that judges you, and that you can, even in the midst of a very difficult time, you can serve other people to the glory and praise of God. That's what Jesus did while he was being betrayed. You see, mature believers are they who know who they are in Christ, why they are here, where their strength comes from, where they're going, and their ultimate destiny and reward. Why? Because they're comprehending and they're accepting by faith the value that God places on their lives. How many people have daddy issues and mommy issues? A lot of people do today. It's a very popular thing to do nowadays. Well, it's because of a dark, repressed memory that I had forgotten about. Well, maybe it is. Aren't you thankful for the fact that you can forget things? I am. I, I tell you this, if every bad memory I ever had in my life was brought to the, to my, the forefront of my mind, I couldn't function. And, and in some ways, if every wonderful, exciting memory that ever happened in my life was in the forefront of my mind, I probably couldn't function that way either. I can only handle so much, so much stimuli. I have to be able to function and think 
and process the now. If you're living in the past trying to dredge up everything you've ever thought and think, well, if I could just get to the core, I mean to the inner circle of who I... Forget it. Forget it. Do you need to know who you are? I need to know who God says I am. Because I've lied to myself before. So I don't really know. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord raises his hand in the next verse. I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins. Who can know who you really are? God can. God can. And guess what? He does know who you are. Did your dad do things to you that shouldn't have been done? Probably. Did your mom? Probably. Guess what they could say if you buttonholed them? My dad did stuff to me. Couldn't, couldn't your dad say that? No, we're not, you're not dead on me, are you? Could, couldn't your mom say that her, her grandma and her aunt did things to her? You mean to tell me that your parents had wonderful lives, nothing ever happened to them, and then they ruined you? Come on, grow up. I, I'm not saying forget and never talk about it and pretend that all that stuff didn't happen. What you do is you say, God, I got these memories. I got this junk. I got all this problem myself. Lord, I'm giving it to you. Hey, thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for putting me in your family. Thank you that I'm alive in Jesus Christ. Which is more real to you? Your identity in Christ or your heritage, your biology? You can tell whether or not you're truly strong in the Lord by where you're really leaning. Who do you talk about most? What are you bothered by? What are you filled with pride about? If it's not about something spiritual, it's more than likely something physical. You know what the Lord wants you to do? He wants you to be proud of who you are in Christ. He wants you to glory in Jesus Christ. Hey, if you had a, an uncle that ran the, you know, the 440 in 30 seconds, <laughs> then praise the Lord. What an awesome thing. That's great. I know it's ridiculous. But, but this, this, this is, you know, that got, she, she won the quilting bee. She was amazing. And she, five years straight, blue ribbon. Praise the Lord. Good. Thank God for that. But you know you're more than your biology, right? You know you're more than just being human. Jesus was able to understand the time frame in which he was serving. He was here for 33 years or so. And he knew that it was almost to the end, and he was going back to glory. So what did he do? He put his face in the dirt. Because he was able to read the clock. Laodiceans, if anybody should be able to read the clock, it should be us. We should look up and watch the clock is ticking, and it's getting down to the end. Okay, let's get our face in the dirt, and let's serve. Well, 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 well I, I've tried that, and nobody cares. Well, we're, not, we're not serving men, we're serving God. We're saying, God, I want to follow you. You know, some of you to be a step of faith to start serving again. Because you're coasting from now to glory. And listen, I can't begin to understand some of the struggles and pain and, and trials that you have. But you know who can? God. Jesus knew a lot about what was going to take place when he left that room. But he was still able to serve on the eve of his greatest suffering on the very brink of being forsaken by his father. He knew that was coming, 
And he was able to serve. Why? Not because everybody around him understood who he was. Not because everybody around him supported him and said, you go, Jesus. Now, Judas did that while he was stabbing him in the back. But Jesus was able to serve. Being a Philadelphian in Laodicea means understanding that my orders come from my real master. That's not me. You want to you get it lost in a funhouse? Try to figure out who you really are. Somebody said trying to understand yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. You'll get lost in space. You know the only one who can really sort out who you are? The one who made you. God. Imagine the vacuum cleaner. We have a bunch of vacuum cleaners here. Imagine a bunch of vacuum cleaners standing around in a circle trying to discuss who they are. You say, that's absolutely stupid. It's not any more stupid than you, you, you and I as created beings trying to figure out who we are without the creator involved in the discussion. God knows who you are. He has made you. And he wants to use you. You know what Jesus said? He said, I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Let me finish with just a couple things here that, that maybe can help you. How to, how to process the fear of man. Just very basic, and it certainly is not comprehensive. You need to understand there are things that you can change, and there are things that you cannot change. So things that you cannot change, what would that be? Your ancestors? The time and history that you live? Your national heritage? Contrary to popular opinion, you can't change your gender? A lot of people are very, very upset because they thought that changing their gender would fix their life, and it hasn't. Uh, You can't change your family. You can't change your physical features. And to a certain degree, you can't really change your mental abilities, your natural aptitudes, your, your mental limitations. You just can't change those things. You know what? You can't change your physical size. Uh, You can't change your handicaps, you can't change your aging, and you can't change your death. So if you're caught up in these things that you cannot change, the unchangeables, you will be miserable. There are things that you can change. Such, uh, you could call them the changeables. What's that? Your weight. Most, Most people can do something about that. Uh, your physical condition, your physical strength, you can augment that. Your spiritual character and maturity, you can fix that. You can improve and grow. Uh, Your knowledge, the use of your knowledge, your dress, your posture, your attitudes, your viewpoint, your facial expressions, your habits, your patterns, these are all changeable things. You know what the devil does? He comes in and he changes, he, he switches the, the, the tags. And we think there are things that I cannot change, and I feel condemned. These thoughts come in my mind, and I feel condemned. And it's something, no, you, maybe you can change that. And if you can't change it, stop worrying about it. You know, the Bible, Jesus said, which of you by taking thought can add a cubit to your stature? You know what the, the spies were concerned about? The ten spies were concerned about the stature of the giants. I'm too short. Okay, God told me to go in, but I'm too short. So ask yourself this question. God wants me to do this, but here's a limitation. Ask yourself, is this changeable 
or unchangeable. Now, I don't know anybody that says, and God certainly didn't say it to Caleb and the spies, don't worry, I'll grow you. I'll stretch you out to be 10 foot tall. Don't worry. So they had a limitation that was physical that was placed on them and was not going to change, correct? So your family is not going to change, your ancestry, your height, right? To a certain degree, your mental capabilities are not going to change. You are who you are, and guess what? God knows who you are. So if God asks you to do something, and your thought is, I can't because you need to put that thing under the microscope and see if it's changeable or not changeable. And if you say, I can't, but you know in your heart you could, you are not trusting in God. You see, it's not whether it would be hard to do. God's not going to ask you to suddenly be another race. He's not going to do it. So some things are unchangeable. God's not going to ask you to do it. But there are things that you can change. And don't, listen, Laodiceans, we cannot do this. We cannot tell God that there are things that are unchangeable when they really are changeable. We cannot do that. You can't predict or control what other people do, but you can predict and control what you do. Yes, you can. No, I can't. No, let me guess. The fear of man would prevent you. You're worried about what other people would do. You see, what Caleb did was Caleb said, God can. I trust God can. And he told me to do it, so that means I can. Whether I feel like I can or not, I'm going after it. Could you be a better mother? Absolutely. Could you be better with your finances? Yes, you can. That is changeable. Can you grow if you want? Well, people even stretch themselves out, but you you really can't grow. You are who you are. So stop putting those two things together. Say, God, help me to sort out the difference between what I can change and what I can't change. And then, God, help me to serve you with what I can change. Not serve myself, not serve other people, but serve you. What do you want to change in my life? God, do you want me to read more of the word? I'll do it. God, do you want me to begin talking to people, caring about people, having them in my home? I'll do it. God, do you want me to be more giving financially? I'll do it. God, do you want me to pray more? I'll do it. Well, I've tried that before. Well, the spies said, yeah, we tried, went up there. And you know what happened was interesting and very sad. They finally got right with the Lord, but God said no. They finally came back and said, okay, 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 we'll go in, we'll go in. We'll do it. We're ready, God, we're ready now. And God said, no, I'm not ready. So in a sense, you have a choice here. You have a choice to trust your fear of man and make that paramount in your life, whether that's the fear of yourself and what you can and cannot do, or the fear of other people and what they think of you, or you can push all that to the side and say, Lord, I don't really understand everything about me and them and how I feel and think, but I know this. You're my God, and I'm going to follow you. You tell me where to change, and I'll change. You tell me what to do, and I'll do it. That will be walking in faith. And you know what you'll be? You'll be a Philadelphian living in Laodicea. Because God's going to anoint your eyes with eye salve so that you can have the proper perspective of yourself, of others, and most importantly, of him. My servant, Caleb. 
Correct and change in your life what you can correct. And then accept those things that cannot be changed. Trust that the Lord designed you. And use the strengths that you have to serve others in the body of Christ.